Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. Thank you for streaming this message. I believe this message will encourage you, it will inspire you, and it'll help you live the supernatural lifestyle of faith. We want you to live this supernatural lifestyle of faith, not have supernatural moments, but have it as a lifestyle. So we put all of this content out for you to receive so you can grow and live the life that Jesus made available for you. To find more information about our ministry and our resources, you can visit us at FCCGA.com or you can download our Faith Plus app. Our Faith Plus app has thousands of hours of faith building content and it's available in your app store right now. Open your heart. God's going to share something special to you through this message. Well, go with me once again to 1 John. Once again, 1 John, and I'm going to start with chapter 1, verse 1. It says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was made, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Now, a number of things we did in the first two weeks of the series, we laid some of the groundwork, and I encourage you that if you missed it after tonight, you can find these messages in our Faith Plus app, as well as our YouTube channel, as well as our podcast, and you can cover the things that we've covered, and so you have a little bit more understanding. But one of the things I want to point out tonight is that, as we covered before, the Apostle John is writing to encourage the churches to combat false doctrine that was trying to undermine their faith. So he's writing to encourage them, writing to assure them that they've heard the truth, that they know the truth, reminding the things they heard before and that the truth has not changed. And so he's writing to remind them and encourage them of these things, but he's also writing to combat false doctrine that was trying to undermine their faith. So what's happened as you read through 1 John and see John allude to these things, that there were people who used to be part of these early Christian communities. And remember at this time, the apostle John has oversight of a lot of the churches that the apostle Paul and his team started decades earlier. John is writing this in the 80s, 90s. He's the last living apostle that walked with Jesus. He is the elder, as he refers to himself in 2 John and 3 John. And so as the elder, as his following figure, he has oversight over the church at Ephesus, as well as the other churches that are mentioned in the book of Revelations, chapter Revelations 1 through 3, the ones that Jesus sent the message to, as well as others in that region. Historians believe that his house was on the hill right outside of Ephesus, and from his house you can see the entire Ephesus, and people would come to his house to meet with them to receive godly counsel, advice, and encouragement. And so one of the things that John is writing to do is encourage his early Christian communities, most likely around Ephesus and modern-day Turkey, to stand strong with what they believe. Because there were some people who were part of these communities who left. And not only did they left, they come back and now they're harassing the people who stayed. And they're telling them that they have this higher version of the truth, that they know the truth. And they're coming back with false doctrines that are seeking to undermine their faith and get them to believe things that are heretical, things that will destroy their Christian walk. And so two of the main teachings that John was combating was Sorinthianism and Docetism. So let me go and Professor Mo real quick. Two of the teachings that John is combating is Sorinthianism and Docetism. And so I'm gonna define these things for you guys. So once you understand one of the reasons why John is writing, 
it helps you understand some of the things he's saying. Because a lot of times we have the just ability as people who live in these times in 2023 to define things and themes and terms based off of our modern day understanding. But if we really want to get the full picture of what the Holy Spirit is communicating through John, we want to understand what was going on and what he was specifically addressing. And so he's addressing two false doctrines that are seeping into the church, the early forms of Gnosticism, which was an attack on the church in the first few hundred centuries, especially in the form of teaching and coming back, coming against sound biblical doctrine. So when we talk about Serenthianism, it was the belief that matter was inherently evil. Therefore, Serenthus distinguished between an immaterial divine Christ spirit and the human Jesus. So Serenthianism believed that all matter is evil. We're not just talking about the flesh or fallen sin nature, we're talking about all matter. So not just people and their bodies, but the rocks, the dirt, the mountain, the books, this laptop that I'm on, the phone, the device, everything material is evil. And because he had that foundational belief, he be he distinguished, he broke Jesus into two pieces, to say it in a more cruder way. He said there's the human Jesus, and then there's the divine Christ spirit. That is what Serenthus believed. Now, one of the things about Serenthus, John called him, according to some of John's apostles, uh, John's disciples, excuse me, who wrote a, about this time, that John referred to Serenthus as the enemy of the truth so you can let you can understand that john was pulling no punches by what this guy preached what he believed and how he was living he calls Serenthus the enemy of the truth now when you talk about docetism which is something else john is combating in the writing of first john docetism has the same foundational beliefs that anything material or physical is evil so just like those who are followers of Serenthus, they believe that anything material and physical is evil now here's what docetism did as a result, they try to avoid the incarnation and bodily death of Jesus. So because they had these beliefs concerning that all things physical and material evil, they were avoiding and disagreeing and trying to get around Jesus being born of a virgin, Jesus being physically upon the earth. They also were avoiding and combating and trying to get around Jesus' bodily death. Now, we understand, because we've taught it before, the importance of knowing that Jesus was born physically in the earth, born of a virgin, how he was our substitute, how he was our sacrifice, how he died for us. We know we can see it. We'll see it even more importantly in John's writings in a little bit, but even though Paul went on at length about this topic. Now, one of the reasons that John is fighting this so hard is because it's trying to undermine the faith of those he has oversight of. And so docetism has, has the same beliefs that anything material and physical is evil. As a result, they tried to avoid the incarnation and bodily death of Jesus. They went as far to claim that Jesus only seemed human. This is what they claimed, that Jesus only seemed human. So docetism comes from the Greek word meaning to seem. Docetism comes from the Greek word meaning to seem. And so what they were claiming is that Jesus only seemed human. Now, before we go forward, so just so I can interact with you guys a little bit more, if this makes sense to you, what we've covered concerning Serenthianism and Docetism, just let me know in the chat. If I've explained it well, you got these, what John is combating, just let me in the chat. Say, hey, this makes sense to me. I get it. So whether you're on Facebook or YouTube, just put in the chat before we go on. I'll make sure that it's clear to you what John is combating, what John 
is writing against, what he through the wisdom and the power of the Holy Spirit is resisting in this day concerning Serenthianism and Docetism, which are early forms of Gnosticism. And so the Holy Ghost is using John to bring light, to bring truth, to combat the darkness and the deception. So this is making sense to you. Go ahead and put it in the chat as we go forward. I see it makes sense, makes sense, makes sense. Cool. So let's go a little bit forward because this is going to help you understand some of the things that John wrote at the end of chapter one. So remember, we said in the past few weeks, John shares that he is sharing what he experienced, that he might have fellowship with them. And that that fellowship that he has with them is their fellowship with God, the father and with God, the son, Jesus. And so you have to imagine that when these people who left were coming back saying they have a higher knowledge, they're really trying to say, hey, well, we really are the ones working with that. We know the truth. God has really told us the truth. And so John is correcting these things and sharing these things. And so remember we said the word fellowship means partnership, joint participation, and intimate friendship. Remember we said the word fellowship means partnership, joint participation, and intimate friendship. So when John is writing this, it's an invitation to partnership, not just partnership with the Apostle John, but partnership with God. God wants to partner with you in every area of your life. So say it out loud and put it in the chat. Say, God wants to partner with me. Well, say it out loud and put it in the chat. God wants to partner with me. Now, you need to understand that because some people say, well, if God wants to do something in life, he's just going to take over. He's just going to make me do it. He's just going to force everything to line up. That's not how God operates. God wants to partner with you. And in a partnership, partners each have their part. God has his part and you have your part. God wants to partner with you. So bonus time, say it with me and put it in the chat. If you haven't put it in the chat already, say God wants to partner with me. Praise God. Let's keep going. Let's review so we can go to where I want to get to tonight. Verse four. And these things rewrite you that your joy may be full. Remember, so this echoes some of the things that Jesus said that we see recorded in the Gospel of John. So this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And as we'll read it again in a moment, the importance of this concept of light, which we'll read again from the Gospel of John, we'll also see it later in 1 John, that God is light. In him, there's no darkness at all. Because one of the things the teaching of docetism and Serenthianism led people do is grossly immoral lives. Since they believed that everything in the physical world was evil and that everything in the physical world could not affect the spirit, they lived however they wanted to. They were loose and promiscuous and they did a lot of evil things. They said, well, nothing I do with my body actually matters because the whole physical material world is evil and it doesn't matter what i do with this physical world and because they had these beliefs they were living in darkness and doing dark things and john is writing to let them know god is light god's not part of that and then also when we look at it from this our understanding point even now god is light his plans are light his plans are good his plans are love his plans are righteous his plans are holy god is light in him, there's no darkness at all. And when John is writing this, he is summing up his experience walking with Jesus for those three years. Everything he preached publicly, how he traveled with them, how he lived them, what he trained to them, what he poured into them. He summed it up by saying, God is light. Because when you read the Gospels and you understand 
what the because you you sometimes the gospels give you insight into what people believed in that day you see it because you see some things that the pharisee says the sadducee said or the scribe said you see other people say different things and when you study the times you see they've had some really interesting beliefs about god that just weren't even biblical or they could be erroneous translations or interpretations of what the bible actually said and so jesus summed it up by saying god is light this is what John is summarizing, what Jesus shared with them, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So notice how he continues next. If we say we have fellowship, pause, what does fellowship mean? This means partnership, joint participation, intimate friendship. So this is not just a general relationship. This is an intimate relationship an intimate friendship so if we say we have this fellowship this intimate friendship this partnership this joint participation and walk in darkness now what is this phrase walk now walk you see it in the old testament and the new testament walk is a jewish idiom which means to live walk is a jewish idiom which means to live it is the primary way you live your life your walk is the primary way you live your life I'm going to say it again. To walk means it's the primary way you live your life. And so he says, if you say you have an intimate friendship with God and you live in darkness, guess what? It's not saying that you did something dark. It's not saying that you sinned. It's not saying you messed up. It's not saying you did something stupid, that you tripped up into something. He says, this is your predominant way of living. This is your lifestyle. This is not something you did once and you try to figure out how to get out of and you're struggling it out. So this is your lifestyle all the time. If you live in darkness, guess what John says? He says, you're lying. So remember, there are people coming back to the church to undermine the faith of the church, saying that there's this higher level of living, higher way of living that, you know, hey, we are the ones who have partnership with God. But they're living in darkness. And John says, guess what? They are lying and they do not practice the truth i love how the new king james says practice the truth and it's from what the word to uh in the king james says they do not do the truth and this word practice helps you have a full understanding what john is communicating here because when we think about the word practice let me give you the definition from practice before we go forward practice means to perform an activity or exercise a skill repeatedly or regularly in order to improve or maintain one's proficiency it means to carry out or perform a particular activity, method, or custom habitually regularly. Practice means to perform an activity or exercise as a skill repeatedly or regularly in order to improve or maintain one's proficiency to carry out or perform a particular activity, method, or custom habitually or regularly. So one of the things we'll see in chapter one and chapter two is another key word of practice. And so go ahead and put it in the chat and say the word practice. Go ahead, put it in the chat, say practice. Practice. This is very key to where we're going. Practice. Practice. And also put in the chat all my different notes. I know we had an issue, but you'll be able to see all my notes for the chat. Practice. 
practice. Now let's keep going. As we said, to walk is a Jewish idiom, idiom which means to live. So the Apostle John says that if we say we have close and intimate partnership with God and live the lifestyle of darkness, we are lying and we do not practice the truth. But now let's look at what he says in verse 7. He says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light. Pause. If we walk in the light, so if we live in the light as he is in the light. Let's let that sink in because we'll just read over that. Say, okay, let's get to the rest of the chapter. No, no, no. But if we live in the light, if this is the predominant way we live, if this is the what we practice, if this is our lifestyle, if our lifestyle is a lifestyle of light, not just, you know, enlightened for the time. That's not what he's saying. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, who is this in the light? Our heavenly father. Who is in the light? Jesus who in the light as he is in the light. So it'd be one of the things, so if we walked in the light, just like, you know, the prophets of old walked in the light, that, well, you know, that's a high order. Or if we walked in the light, just as the apostles walked in the light, that's a high order. But walk in the light, live in the light, as Jesus is currently in, in the light of the glory of God. Remember when he was raised from the dead, he was resurrected with all the glory that there is. He is shining. No, remember what it says about the light that comes from him in the book of Revelation, that the heavenly Jerusalem doesn't need a sun because the light of the one who sits on the throne, the light from the face of Jesus, lights the entire place. That is that high level of light we're talking about. So he says, if we live in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship, participation, partnership, intimate friendship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son, cleanses us from all sin. Let that sink in for a second, because we've been talking about partnership with God, partnership with Jesus, partnership John was extending from himself as the Apostle John, but he's also talking about the partnership of believers, partnership of Everyone on this live stream with me, partnership with everyone watching the replay, partnership with everyone who's going to be listening on the podcast, partnership with all part of Faith Christian of the Faith family and all those connected to us with our faithless partners, partnership, that we actually have partnership with one another as we live in the light. Because get this, if we live in the light, as he is in the light, all the things that try to break us up and divide us won't be able to work. Because if you live in the light, you're not gossiping. If you live in the light, you're not trying to undermine someone or sabotage someone. If you're living in the light, you're doing what 1 Corinthians 13, you are thinking the best of everyone. So this lifestyle of light that John's going to talk about more in the coming chapters causes us to be great partners with God, but also causes us to be partners with one another. But if we live in the light as he is in the light, we have partnership and intimate friendship and fellowship and joint participation with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So guess what? As we live in the light and walk in the light and make decisions based on the light of God's word, we will make mistakes from time to time. We will trip up. We will. But guess what's available to us? Complete cleansing. We don't care around the sin. We don't care around the darkness. Complete cleansing is made available to us by the blood of Jesus from all 
sin. Go ahead, put in the chat, say from all sin, because that's let's not let that sink in, because, you know, these are some mental things we know as Christians and we believe as Christians, but let that sink in from your mind to your heart. The blood cleanses you from all sin. Because remember what John's combating, you know, they're saying, well, you know, sin really doesn't matter. Yeah, the whole body is sinful because it's material, but the spirit is not sinful. And they're trying to, you know, push these different things and cause them to live a sinful lifestyle. But notice what John is proclaiming with this. The blood has cleansed us from all sin. So it's not just things dealing with our spirit or our souls, also with our physical body. Our entire life has been cleansed by the blood. It, the blood did such a good job. When the Father sees you, he sees you as clean and as perfect and as pure as Jesus. The blood did such a good job on you and made you a suitable home for the Holy Spirit himself to live on the inside of you. The blood did such a good job cleansing you from all sin that you are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Let that word temple sink in. Because remember how holy and how important the temple was to the Jewish faith that you, there were certain things you did in the temple. There's certain things you didn't do in the temple because the temple is holy. The temple is where God resides. The temple is where they put the ark. The temple is where those commandments were kept. The temple is where the manna was. The temple was the staff that budded. The temple is where the Shekinah glory appeared. The temple is of most importance because it's holy. And you are the temple of God because the blood of Jesus cleansed you from all sin and the Holy Spirit moved on the inside. Praise God. And so he tells us to walk in the light as he is in the light. So let's go to John chapter 1 verse 9. John chapter 1 verse 4 through 9. And we're going to look at a little a few more things John said about light before we go on. John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Starting with verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not comprehend it. It didn't understand it. Then he goes on, so there's a man sent from God whose name was John. Talk about John the Baptist. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. It was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. Remember, Jesus even says later that I am the light of this world. And he shows in Matthew that we are the light of the world. And so light is a very important concept that John is building on, not just in the gospel of John, we're also see he's building on it in 1 John. And you see more about it throughout his writings, consider, telling you this is how you know you're walking in the light. This is how you know you are living in the light. So let's go to go back to 1 John chapter 1, and we're going to look at verse 8 this time. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. Notice what it says here. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now, Pastor, you just said, you know, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. I did. So well, why is John saying here in verse 8 that if we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us? Remember the purpose of why John is writing this book. 
as he combats the Tethians of Serenthus and combats docetism. Remember, they're going around living sinful lifestyles, living overflowing in darkness, overflowing in sin, saying they don't have sin because the whole material and physical world is evil and what you do with your body doesn't matter and that the spirit is the only thing that matters. Remember, they're going around saying this, saying, hey, we have no sin, we have no sin, sin doesn't matter. This is what they're saying. And it says, look what they're doing. They are deceiving their own selves. They are tricking themselves and the truth is not in them. The truth is not in them. So if we're living this lifestyle, John is saying, we're living in darkness. We're continuing in darkness. And we say that we do not have sin. We are tricking ourselves and we don't know the truth. The truth is not in us. So remember, he's not talking about people who've confess their sin and their sins have been washed away. He's talking about people who their lifestyle is darkness. He's talking about they're continually sinning and sinning and sinning. He says, it doesn't matter. The sin doesn't exist. To paraphrase it. He says, they're tricking themselves. They're deceiving themselves. And the truth is not in them. Remember just a few verses earlier, John said, they are lying. Why are they lying? They have deceived them all self. What does John go on to say in verse 9? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so he's remember what he's combating, what he's fixing, what he's teaching. It helps you understand why he's saying these things at the end of chapter 1. And so if we come to God, we've sinned, we've messed up. If we confess our sins, now what is confession? Confession, you're acknowledging, you're saying what you did. Say, God, this is what I did. That's not informing him. That's confession. So I, this is what I did, and it's wrong. What do you do? You say that. He says, God, this is what I did. It's wrong. I ask that you forgive me. You know, it's like what Paul said. If we judge ourselves, we will not be judged. And what does it say? God is faithful and just. So each and every time we come before him and ask him to forgive us, guess what? That's exactly what he's going to do because he is faithful and he is just to forgive us. Remember, forgiveness is a, is a financial term. He's going to cancel our sins. Not only will he cancel our sin debt, not only will he forgive us our sins, he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What's left after all? Nothing. So there's no unrighteousness left. When you remove all unrighteousness, what's left? Righteousness. And so he's not saying that, you know, that, okay, he forgave you, but, you know, you get all, you still have all the sin. No, he cleanses you from all unrighteousness. John is masterfully combating by the power of the Holy Spirit, the false teachings of Gnosticism, the false teachings of Docetism and Serenthianism. Notice what he goes on again and says in verse 10. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So remember what they're saying. They're saying, no, sin doesn't matter. You know, we can't sin because, you know, the body is evil, material world's evil, nothing you do with your body matters. And he says, they're going around saying that, you know, nothing we're doing is sin. He says, guess what? They're making God, they're, when they say that, they're saying God is a liar. This is what John is telling them. So John is not pulling punches as he deals with this false teaching. First, he says, they are lying. They've tricked themselves. And when they say these things, they're calling God a liar. So he says, they're not calling me a liar. Church, they're not calling you a liar. They are calling God a liar. 
and that his word is not in us. So he's saying they're not, they're not people of the word. Or as you see later, they're not people of the truth. They're not people of the life. They are lying. They've deceived themselves. And their lifestyle, what they're saying, is calling God himself a liar. Woo, we finished chapter one. Let's go to chapter two before we close. Chapter two. Chapter two, verse one. Notice what it says here. My little children. And we'll pause it right here to the sweetness and the care that's in this phrase. My little children. Why is it so important? Remember, John is John the Elder at this point. He's anywhere from his late 70s to his mid to late 90s at this point when he's writing this. He is the last remaining apostle who wrote, who walked with Jesus. He is the elder, as he calls himself in 2 John and 3 John. And he has this tender approach as he writes into them, looking at them, all of these people under him as a spiritual children. And so this is a term of endearment. This is my little children. And so this is the heart of a spiritual father coming forth to these people he has oversight of, to all the churches that he's shepherding. And this letter, much like the, probably the letter to the Ephesians, was a circular letter that would have gone around to all these little, all the churches around, all the Christian communities around. This is my little children. These things I write to you so that you may not sin. So everything he wrote in chapter one and what he's going to go through for the next few chapters, I'm writing to this so that you won't sin. Once again, he's combating what they're saying because, you know, they're saying that there is no sin. But he said, no, 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 there's sin. And I don't want you to do it. He says, from the heart of a father talking to his kids, I'm telling you how to live the life God has for you. I'm telling you how to live your best life. I'm giving you wisdom. Just following wisdom and instruction from the heart loving father, one who's known as the apostle of love, one who's known for his love walk and known for his belief in how much God loves him. He says, I'm writing these things to you because I love you. I'm writing these things to you because I'm a dad. I'm saying these things so that you won't sin. And then he reminds you, he says, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the father. That's a legal term. We'll get into that next week. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. And we're close on this point. What is propitiation? The word propitiation means atoning sacrifice. Word propitiation means atoning sacrifice. Another way to say it is he took our place. When we talk about propitiation or the atoning sacrifice, we're saying that Jesus took our place. He paid the price of our sins. Everything that our sins demanded, every price that was going to be paid, Jesus paid it upon that cross upon descending into a devil's hell. Every suffering Jesus went through was to pay the price for our sins. And so when we're born again, we're making Jesus the Lord of our Savior and we're receiving him. We are participating in what's called that great exchange, that we're believing upon our faith that what Jesus did was enough. 
that Jesus' sacrifice was enough, that the price Jesus paid was enough, that we don't have to pay for our sins. Jesus paid the price. He took our place. He is our atoning sacrifice. Go ahead and put it in that chat. Say, Jesus took my place. Go ahead, say it out loud and put it in the chat. If you're watching a place where we can put it in the chat, whether it's live or replay, say, Jesus took my place. Go ahead and say it out loud and put it in the chat. If you're watching a place that you can put it in the chat, say, Jesus took my place. He's our advocate. He is Jesus Christ, our righteous. He is our propitiation. He took our place. But one of the wonderful things we'll get into a little bit more next week is he didn't just take our place. He took everyone's place. All of us. This entire world. He took our place. And that what's the difference between us who are in Jesus and those who are not is that we receive the gift. It's a gift, as Ephesians calls it. And we must receive a gift. You can't force a gift on someone. You must receive it. You must take it for yourselves. And so everything, the foundation of our beliefs is that Jesus took our place and we believe it. And so you have to remind yourself that Jesus took your place. That no matter what your past was like, no matter what you've done, Jesus paid the cost. As we see in John chapter one, maybe we get into next week, how one of the things that John the Apostles recorded that John the Baptist preaches, Jesus is the Lamb of God. He is the atoning sacrifice. He is the propitiation. He took our place. And that is worth rejoicing over. He took our place. Because he took our place, we can boldly come to the throne of grace to receive grace and mercy and help in our time of need. Because he took our place, we can boldly walk up into heaven's throne room because we belong there. Remember, only in the temple, only the high priest could go in to the Holy of Holies once a year. But that's not our case. We can draw near as much as we want because Jesus took our place. In Revelation chapter 1, that when Jesus is talking to John, and John is talking about Jesus, he made us kings and priests to his father. So we can go before God, go into his presence at any time because Jesus took our place. He shed his precious blood. He is our propitiation and he paid the price for our sins. Father, we thank you. We thank you for sending Jesus. That was the expression of your love. You sent Jesus to pay the price for us. Our Father, we cover a number of different things as we work our way through 1 John. Help us to not just be hearers of this word, to be doers of this word, to be blessed in our doing. Help us grow in our understanding, grow in revelation, so that we can live in the light and walk in the light as you are in the light. We give you all the glory, honor, and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. And so be it. Thank you for streaming this message. I believe it encourages you and is going to help you make Jesus famous in your everyday life. We would love to be, stay connected with you. So subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, our YouTube channel, download our Faith Plus app, and visit us at FCCGA.com to learn more about our ministry. If you would like to support our ministry financially, you can also do so by our website at FCCGA.com or by texting FCCGA to 73256. If you would like to submit a prayer request, you can do so at our website as well. We would love to agree with you in faith, and we know you'll receive an answer according to the Word of God. Once again, thank you for streaming this message. And remember, God has a great plan for your life, and something good is going to happen to you today. So expect miracles. God bless.